Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. How would you like to boost your focus, your drive, and your energy. I am willing to bet there's probably very few people listening to this podcast right now that would not like to do that. Increase your focus, increase your drive, and increase your energy. That is what we're going to be talking today as we discuss Micro Resilience, the book by Bonnie St. John's and Alan Haynes. Uh, Bonnie, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited for this discussion. So when you think about micro-resilience, when you, when you think of that term, what does that mean to you? I have to say, when you say you're going to focus, you're, you're going to boost your focus, drive, and energy, it sounds like a uh, ridiculous promise, right? Mm. But we really have done a lot of research on evidence-based ways to micro, the micro is tiny little hacks during your day that that are proven to make your mind work better, make you smarter and make you less exhausted by the things that are thrown at you. And and so it really is profound. And and the thousands of people we've worked with since 2011 have just found such relief from the the ever increasing acceleration of change. And, and I really appreciate that because I I'm a firm believer in small changes. I uh, um, versus you know wholesale massive changes where you just disrupt your life. I you know I one of my favorite thoughts is like Everest. You know as long as you keep moving forward, you're climbing Everest, right? It's those small steps. And so, where do you feel like people get that wrong? Do you feel like that there's there's that that people can be um, paralyzed by change because they think it's such a, a massive undertaking versus just taking these small steps? Well, when I was talking about acceleration of change, I just mean that at work we have so much disruption and we have new technology installed and then we have new customers and competition and they reframe reorganization. You know, we have all this that is uh, causing us a lot of stress and a lot of mental exhaustion. And so the, the, the changes that we're talking about, the little tiny changes, so it's confusing. It's like tiny changes help you with dealing with big change. Yeah. Um, and I, and I don't think, so we, we coined the term micro to contrast to macro resilience. And if you, if you Google resilience research, a lot of it is about the big things people are dealing with, like recovering from cancer or a town rebuilding after a hurricane. And so we looked at that and then there's big problems and then there's big solutions and, and things like, you know, looking at your health, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise. They're all things that take a long time to help you. We're looking at tiny solutions, but also tiny problems is, is things that happen to you during the day that drain you. And I guess the, the answer to what you're saying is if you can do tiny things every day that help you be less exhausted, the, the cumulative effect of that is going to be huge. 
So we're gonna that's what we're gonna dig into on on this uh, on this uh, podcast, and we're gonna kind of kind of mechanize some of your ideas so people kind of kind of take them into their daily life. But um, let's talk a little bit about you. That you have such an incredible story. You're such a profound uh, uh, keynote speaker and, and motivational speaker out on the circuit. Um, you know a little bit about resilience. Tell uh, tell our listeners for those who don't know about kind of your history, and 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 I'll I'll just set it up to say when you were when you were five years old, you had your right leg amputated, and and that could well that obviously sets you on a different path than than uh, than whatever path you were going to take but how did that shape you and and give you that resilience that we're seeing today well it's a crazy story so i grew up in san diego uh national city for those of you who know san diego very well which is near the mexican border uh not the fashionable beautiful side of san diego that <laughs> you get the brochures uh, we had a lot of gangs. If you drive to the water from where I lived, it wasn't beautiful beaches. It was shipbuilding and Navy. Uh, so it, it, I grew up in a tough neighborhood, um, had my leg amputated. I'm African-American. And so the the probability of me ending up being an international ski racer was not high. <laughs> <laughs> we had no snow. We had no money. Not even legs, right? Um, And I'm actually the first African-American to win a Winter Olympic medal. So, you know, black people just didn't enter the Olympic, the Winter Olympics very much. So it's a crazy story of of going against the odds. And I had to have a lot of resilience, obviously, to, to overcome some of those things and really wanted to help others. You know, people come to me and say, how can my kids be resilient like you are? How can my team at work be resilient like you are? Um, actually layered on top of all those things I mentioned too, that the thing that you don't see, or I don't always talk about is I was also abused as a child for many years. And so emotional resilience, physical resilience, mental resilience, all of it. So there's so many different barriers for you to overcome so many roadblocks, so many things that, that, that could have kept people down. And, and there are people that, that may have said, well, I would have done this or that if not for some of these issues. Where do you think it came inside of you? Because obviously you didn't have the, the luxury of reading this book at age five. <laughs> so where do you think it came from? Um, uh, my mother was somebody who had, who had overcome a lot. She came out of the ghetto. She also had a, a tough childhood and, and abuse. And I watched her really wrestle with her demons and she really uh, worked to stay positive and, and looked for tools and took me to motivational speakers. And I, I learned transcendental meditation. You know, we, we did all kinds of things. And yeah. so she, I, I, I guess that that instilled in me this desire to overcome the odds no matter what. But then I looked for really practical researched based things that, that I could do and that I could offer to other people. And that's what I appreciate. I, uh, a quick aside, I, I've been at the Ken Blanchard companies for coming up on 15 years and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very sound principles. It's, it's research. And it sounds like that's what you were searching for as well. I, I, I joke around that I've been doing this for 15 years and my mom still doesn't know what I do. She just thinks, oh, you, you guys do motivational speaking and you just motivate people. And, and so I, what you're saying is, of course, you've got a great story that can motivate people and inspire, but you actually want to understand what are the metrics? What are the things that you can kind of do? Because you, you believe that this can be drawn out of, out of just in about anybody. So how did you go about to kind of understand what are the steps somebody could take to, to have all these profound changes? 
Well, we really were scouring the research. Um, you know, there's a lot of neuroscience research out there, and we looked at physiology, positive psychology, psychoneuroimmunology. I just like saying that. Psycho- <laughs> um, and you know, a lot of different universities and institutes and things they were doing. Let me let me share one piece of research with you that kind of set Please. us on a path. Is we we found a piece of research that was about tennis players and why certain tennis players consistently win, the winningest tennis players. And uh, this was Jim Lair. I don't know if you, if you know Jim Lair. He actually didn't publish this. I heard little bits about it, but I had to go back and interview him to get the whole story. But he was fascinated with, you know, if you're looking at the U.S. Open, everybody's world class, but they're only reporting on a handful of names because they're the, the, the winningest ones. And he wanted to know what puts you in that group. Now, there could be somebody in that group who runs really fast or hits, serves 90 miles an hour. You know, people have different skills, but he, was, he wanted to know what are the common factors that puts you in that group. And he was watching and analyzing and videoing and he couldn't find anything until he looked at what they did between the points. So he told me, he goes, Bonnie, I was watching video of tennis players not playing tennis to understand how they won. (laughs) And he said there were little things they were doing between the volleys that as you went down the ranks, you saw less and less of these, these particular behaviors. And when you got to the bottom, none of them. And they were just little things like putting your racket in the other hand to rest it, uh, you know, not getting distracted by the crowd. And then he would interview them about their self-talk and even monitored their heart rate and saw that they could get their heart rate back to the optimal zone faster. And so he, he came up with these ideas about how they were using these micro techniques to be better than world class. So if you think about it, if you and I are playing tennis and you're recovering your energy between every point recovering your focus, not getting distracted before you go into the next point, you're going to, by the end of the match, you're going to be playing, even if we started with the same skills, you're going to be playing better than I am. And so we took that insight and said, how can we help people in offices, in the field, uh, you know, in sales or even stay at home moms, how can we help them? What are the between the points behaviors that would make the difference for them in the same way that world-class tennis players stand out above the rest of the, the field. And so with that, you you kind of dig deep and you look at, okay, how can we actually uh, put this to action? And so we've had so many uh, incredible authors uh, on the podcast that have kind of shared this and they all seem to have a model. They all seem to have a framework and yours, which I really appreciate is is something that's very actionable. So let's that's one of the promises that we have for our listeners and our subscribers is that you're going to be able to come away from this half an hour with some ideas. So let's dig in. And, and so you've got five frameworks Let's start talking about the first one. How do you refocus your brain? What what does that mean? I just want to say, too, that just that insight that you can refresh yourself between the points in a busy day, that's actionable, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just flipping that little switch to say, oh, yeah, because I came from a drive yourself until you drop world where I push myself, you know, and I say, "I'll, I'll rest when it's the weekend or I'll rest on my next vacation. See how tough I am? And the, the insight that comes out of this is that's actually not the highest performance. If you can do little micro refreshes, you actually can sustain your A-game a lot longer. And so it kind of reframes high performance. It doesn't just look like suffering. Yeah. You get a 
better level of high performance by doing these little refreshes. And I, I appreciate that so much because there was a shift I have made in the last decade in in my kind of journey on 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 self discovery and and uh, and and betterment. Uh, um, I grew up uh, and I lived in a world with with negative self talk, and I actually brought that up to the the, the bat whenever I would go play competitive uh, of, of sports. And um, just that change of just coming in there with some grace and forgiveness, you know, between a bad foul ball swing and and thinking really positively, it just it gives you a different energy level, and you don't it's it, you know when you when you don't do well, there's no longer a self fulfilling prophecy. It's just oh, what did I do wrong there? I'm going to get better next time. So yeah. I love that idea that um, how we treat ourselves and 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 how we take those moments between the points and those those points are are all throughout life um, can have right. some resounding effects. Okay, so you want to talk about refocus? Let's do it. Okay, so what's your question? Well. <laughs> We've got the five frameworks, and you break the break the book down, which I welcome everybody to go pick up. Micro Resilience, make sure you pick up this book. But you talk about the five frameworks, and the first one is refocusing your brain. Think, organize, and execute more effectively. So how would one be able to take some simple steps to be able to kind of refocus their brain? Well, what's interesting is in each of these frameworks, like you said, there's five frameworks – there's the science that we use to help you understand what's going on, where you can get some extra energy, and then we give you some simple hacks. And if you just know the simple hacks, it's not as powerful. Like if you know the science, then you can make up your own hacks too. So it's so the, the basic science in refocus is that we overuse our prefrontal cortex, the advanced part of our brain. We are so much is expected from it now. It used to be something we used occasionally, you know, and now we're we're trying to remember everything. We're trying to uh, envision all kinds of invisible things we can't see, and all the the advanced portions of our brain are getting overused. And when you learn to respect the power of your prefrontal cortex and its limitations, and you kind of use it more judiciously, you actually will seem smarter. It's sort of paradoxical. It's like if you use it a little bit less, you will actually seem smarter. So some examples of that are multitasking. We really exhaust our brain with multitasking. Sure, we have to do it sometimes, but we do it so much now and we pride ourselves on how much I can multitask. But it's actually, the studies show that when you're multitasking a lot, you're actually lowering your IQ by 10 or 15 points. You're actually, it's almost like losing a night's sleep. Somebody said, um, you can multitasking is fine as long as you don't need creativity, innovation, accuracy, or quality. Oh, who needs that? <laughs> who needs those things, right? <laughs> you know, if you're folding the laundry in front of the TV, fine. You don't really need those things. But when you're trying to get a report done or, uh, you know, have an important meeting with a client, yeah, you you really do need the focus. So so we talk about one of the hacks is zones about how to create zones of focus in your in your calendar. And, you know, it's not saying don't ever multitask, but just find carve outs that you can really eliminate a lot of distractions. And sometimes that requires a lot of communication with other people, too, is to let them know, hey, I'm going to be in this zone. This is why it's really important that I get this quality work done. And here's the threshold. Don't interrupt me unless this. And so having that communication, it helps you. And I think, you know, the other people we work with often want that too. So just nothing you could do is just have a conversation with your team about how can we all get what we need, but just not be interrupting each other so much. I think we've sort of defaulted in this culture to, you know, focus is under assault. It's just, oh, that's just the way it is. But we can actually push back. 
Yeah, and it, it's, I think some people wear that as a badge of honor almost, like, uh, you know, that, that I'm overwhelmed, I'm overworked, look at me, I'm outworking everybody else. But it, 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 what, you're, what your research is showing is that that can be to a, a detriment to output, to creativity, to all the things that are going to make you thrive. Another good example of not overusing your prefrontal cortex is decision fatigue. There are some great studies about judges and fati- uh, decision fatigue yeah. and doctors and decision fatigue. And, uh, you know, we can also do better with our decision making if we pay attention to reducing the number of decisions we have to make, paying attention to the timing of decisions we have to make, things like that. So we can we can actually impact some of these factors that are draining our mental power. So as we move forward into the next piece of this puzzle, it's, it's in, it, it's something that I think I've, I've, uh, I've been a victim of at times. I've probably many people have, but when you allow, whether it's overwhelm or you allow a moment or you allow an emotion to kind of get the better of you and it, it kind of, it kind of hijacks you. So what can you do to kind of, you, you talked about resetting your primitive alarms. What do you mean by primitive alarms? Well, we're designed to react really strongly to any kind of threat or even the possibility of a threat. You know, sometimes uh, we think something bad's going to happen, but it doesn't happen. But our, our physiology still reacts. We, uh, we exhaust ourselves. The, the amygdala hijack is the, uh, the, the reaction, the physiological reaction we have to a threat. And it narrows your vision. It, it increases your heart rate. It, your breathing is shallow. You know, so it, it, it can really tire you out. Now, that was important when we were living in the primitive world and we had to defend ourselves against animals and, you know, other humans. But in an office setting, that same reaction gets triggered and it's really not helpful because in an office setting, we're trying to solve problems and collaborate with people. So you really want access to your higher order thinking. But what that physiological reaction is doing is shutting down your advanced thinking processes because it's preparing you to hit somebody over the head or run. (laughs) And so we get in the office and it's funny, but we get in the office and we get in these situations where, you know, one is if you're not invited to an important decision meeting that you think you should have been invited to brain scans show that our reaction to that is the same as if we were starving to death. You know, so we have this really strong primitive threat response, which is not helping the situation. Have you ever been in a situation like that where somebody or somebody steals your idea in a meeting, you know, and you say something and later you go, that just wasn't me. Yeah. And it's, and it's literally true because that, that physiological neurological response cuts off your access to your higher order thinking. The part of you that, um, has cultivated more intelligent responses and can restrain your impulses, you know? So if you lose access to that, you do things that really aren't you. It's that caveman inside you that's reacting. Yeah. When, uh, another way I looked at this as well, uh, you have that where you, you say something you don't mean, but, but so let's say you've got some, some crummy news and there's some internal battles, whatever it is at work that, that has just caused you to, to react in a way. And, and I, I've been guilty of this where like I know, I know for a fact that the company has lost me probably through the end of the week. Like I am, I am physically and emotionally not connected because I can't overcome that. So are, are there tips that you could recommend for us to kind of reset, refocus, get back on track so that we're not kind of wallering in, in, uh, in that anger or in, in that we distraction? Have, we have several different hacks, simple hacks in the book that help kind of reverse the physiological process. But one, one of my favorites is labeling, which comes out of research from UCLA uh, with Matt Lieberman. And it's so simple. It's, it's, it's amazing. 
it's just labeling, putting words on what you're feeling in the moment. So if you're, I gave the example earlier, if you're sitting in a meeting and somebody steals your idea, you're sitting there and, and what are you feeling? What would you be feeling? Yeah, you'd be feeling frustrated, uh, 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 ticked off, uh, angry. Yeah, you'd be frustrated, angry. Or somebody else might say, I'm feeling helpless. Yeah. Or, you know, people, you can have different feelings. So putting a label on what your feelings are kind of puts you back in your prefrontal cortex. You know, it, instead of being uh, just angry, being at one with the anger, you can you can distance yourself a little bit and say, this is me over here and, and I am angry. You know, I'm separate from the anger. And it gives you more choices and more power and puts you back in your logical mind. And so it just, it gives you a chance to think about your response a little bit and, and access from a different place. And it's literally reversing that, that uh, you know, the fire alarm response. Okay, so what about when you're you're feeling a lack of confidence, or you're 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 afraid, or you're angry? What if what what if the worst of you is coming out? So there's there's things about like sharing what you're feeling, but what do you do when the alarm bells are really going off? How do you reset? Sorry, you just said something really important. You said sharing what you're feeling, and that's not what I meant. So that was a really important thing. Thank you. Putting words on it. So it doesn't mean you say them out loud. If you're in the meeting, you don't have to say, I'm feeling angry. You know, you just put it, you can do it just in your head. Okay. So it literally changes the way the blood is flowing in your brain. And so it, it slows down that hijack response. But you don't always want to say that out loud, right? But it but just saying it in your mind, using words. You know how you say to kids, use your words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It, it, it just helps change you. So that's an important distinction because I don't want everybody necessarily to blurt that out in the meeting. That might not help. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that. I appreciate that redirect. So it's not necessarily to, to, to put words outwardly, but it's just for you to understand. And you said that almost works like a, like a, a release valve in your brain to just let, let, let some of that stuff out. Well, it literally changes the way the blood is flowing in your brain. So it, it's literally changing the way you're reacting and giving you more logical power instead of just this emotional uh, hijack. Um, so that can slow you down. I think also just being aware of this process when you are getting hijacked, like you said, you know, gosh, you could be out of sorts for a while. Um, it, it's a there's hormones that are released that are that are helping you to you know face a big threat. But if you're in an office, you're not facing a big physical threat. So those hormones are not helpful. And so being aware that this is real, it's not just an emotional flash, there's, there's things happening in your body. So if you, if you need to get away from the situation and sort of calm down, take a walk, those can be good. The other way to see this too is to understand when somebody else is having a hijack and you can recognize the signs and ask that person to use words and tell you how they're feeling, you know, and give them some time. They're not going to be logical for a little while. Um, one psychologist I was talking to said that it takes a little bit longer for men to kind of walk off the chemical reaction than women. And probably just because they're larger, right? So the chemo, there's more chemicals in their body, so they need to walk it off a little bit more. So, um, just being aware that this happens learning to recognize the symptoms earlier and mitigate them would make you less exhausted during the day because you don't need it. It's not helping. Yeah, absolutely. So one of it's, it's been a big buzzword for the last couple of years, uh, a lot of research, and there's been whole books written just on this topic. And you, you, you address it within your, your five keys is around the idea of, of positivity, positive psychology. Um, how, you know, if, if we take the premise that, that half of the, the world is introvert, half the world's extrovert, you could say half is optimistic, half, half is pessimistic. How do you, how do you, um, 
if, if that's not a natural state or if you're just having a really rough run and, and you're naturally optimistic, how do you shift yourself back into a positive mindset? I think that you just said so many interesting things in a row. I and mean, one is, is are you naturally optimistic or pessimistic? The person who did the seminal research in this area, Marty Seligman, says he's naturally pessimistic. You know, they say we research what we need to know, right? So his his uh, seminal book was Learned Optimism. And he wrote a book about how to learn to be optimistic, which is possible. So it's good to know that you can be more positive than what naturally comes to you. Um, we, we put in a lot of little hacks. And as you said, you could write a whole book about this. You could write a whole book about brain power. You could write a whole book about the emotional hijack. What's interesting about this is it gives you these small, easy to use tools that cut across all these areas. So you don't have to read five books. You can get these little things that are that are really effective. And when you're working across all these dimensions, people see a jump forward. It's like having, you know, five engines on the bottom of your rocket. Are you only using two or are you using all five? And so you're right. You could look at different books, but putting this together, we've really seen helps people because it does cut across. So so you want a simple hack for positivity? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorites is the first aid kit for your attitude. Okay. <laughs> is... Uh, we, we get first aid kits because we know we might get a cut or a bruise or a burn. Why not have a first aid kit for your attitude? Because you know you can get a burn or a bruise to your attitude during the day. So what can you put in a first aid kit for yourself that would help you in a moment when, uh, you know, you get bad news, the deadlines change, uh, you have an angry customer, you know, what's something that you could look at that would help give you perspective? One thing in my first aid kit is a note from my mother who mm -hmm. passed away 10 years ago and it says, cherish yourself. And it's in this, she, she studied penmanship back in school when they had penmanship. She has this beautiful handwriting and my mother suffered. I, I kind of mentioned she suffered a lot of things. She, she went to segregated schools when she was little and had to walk past the white school for two miles to go to the rundown black school. You know, she struggled to stay positive. And so when I look at that note that says, cherish yourself, it just puts a lot of things in perspective. You know, that little thing that happened to you during the day, it's like, yeah, I can, I can turn around on that. Yeah. And, and so, it, it's, it's a great reminder that, uh, um, and, and it's another, it's, it's a great reminder that, that I always like to, it, to, to think about whenever you encounter other people who may not be having their best day and you, you wouldn't probably trade positions with many people in this world because you don't know what battles they're facing. So, um, so, when you talk about psychology, I'm sorry, uh, what were we going to say? I was thinking, just, you can put simple, that I, that was like so deep, but I'm like, you could, I can put chocolate in my first aid kit, you know, it's like you can yeah. put simple things too, or a picture of your children or sand from your last vacation. Uh, thank you notes, I think are a great idea too. Uh, Cause there's days when you feel like nobody appreciates you. And if you have, you know, thank you notes that you can look at to remind yourself. Yeah. People do. What, what would you put in your first aid kit? You know, I, um, I have a couple personal notes that I've gotten that I actually keep close, uh, and, and I look at them from time to time, and I add some to the little the little. It's not so much a scrapbook, but it's just there's just some notes in there that mean a great deal to me, and then there's some personal mementos that uh, that represented adventures or, or highs in my life that uh, that that never cease to make me happy because you you can instantly because of just feeling those things you can kind of go right back to the moment. One of the things to be careful, though, is if you if you put it all on your desk and you see it every day, you kind of become immune to it. 
So if you really want to be able to apply first aid, it should be something that that you you just don't see every day. And so you can take it out and sort of use it when necessary. Some people like to put it on their phone, too. Uh, if you're traveling a lot, you know, you can have a folder on your phone that has, you know, the, the pictures or the thoughts or the letters that or quotes that inspire you. You talk about and we talked about this on the front end of this particular part of the book, uh, um, and it's a part of the book as well. Uh, you talk about going from pessimism to optimism. So let's, again, assume that there's a lot of people listening that, that say, well, I'm kind of just wired that way. I'm kind of, I'm not quite Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. You know, I'm not walking around like that, but I, I'm not, uh, the, the glass is, is, is mostly half empty for me. What are some things that you recommend to kind of to shift that focus for where they can be, live, live a little bit more optimistically? They have a tool in the book called PPP to CCC, and that actually draws directly on Marty Seligman's research. Um, he talks about PPP is is when you're explaining bad events in the world by saying they're personal, prevalent, or permanent. You know, so if you lost your job, it's it's oh well, there's no jobs around. It's not going to get any better. This always happens to me. You know, it's it's personal, prevalent, and permanent. And what you can do is if you hear yourself explaining things that way or you hear somebody else explaining things that way, you can use CCC, which is um, asking questions to sort of challenge them to to think about it differently. So what is the challenge in this situation? What are the choices that I have and what am I committed to? So again, with the the job loss situation is, um, what is the challenge in the situation? Is I, I, I need to find a new job. Uh, maybe I can find a better job. Maybe I can find something that aligns to my skills better than what I had. You know, what choices do I have? Um, I could move. I could change industries. I could, uh, I, you can be creative with that, but you always have some choices. And when you focus on the choices you have, it's, that's very, uh, energizing. And finally, what am I committed to? What are my values? I mean, I think if you have children and you lose your job, you want to be a good role model for them. So you don't want to just give up and say it's not going to work. You, you want to dress up every day, you know, and go out and try. So, so thinking about the C's can really shift you from just feeling cynical that nothing's going to work. All right. So we focused a lot on the brain. Let's get into the vessel. Or actually, not the vessel. Yeah, I guess it is the vessel. Just, you know, the, the whole full encompassing body that is actually needing to be nurtured. You, you, you spend a lot of time to talk about how you refresh your body and how you, if you don't take care of yourself, uh, um, then all of this could be a moot point. So what sort of things, and, 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 and what I love about this, I'm talking to an Olympian, <laughs> you know, so you know how to take care of your body, you know how to compete at a high level, and you're still out there doing it at the same pace. So um, what, what, what recommend, recommendations do you have for us? I was going to say, in that framework, I do keep it really simple. I am not giving you advice on nutrition. I'm not a registered nutritionist. I've met many of them, but I'm not one. And I'm not giving you exercise. I'm not your, uh, your, your exercise guru. But what it is, it's really simple advice about keeping your metabolism more even. So we're talking about resilience and we're talking about how to have more energy, focus and drive during the day. If you let your metabolism go on a roller coaster up and down, you're exhausting yourself and you make it harder to do everything else. You know, have you heard the term hangry? Oh, yeah. So you're you're angry because you're hungry. So if you're letting your metabolism go on a roller coaster, it's harder not to have an emotional hijack like we talked about. If you're your brain is a higher percentage of water than the rest of your body. So if you're letting yourself 
uh, get thirsty, your brain's not working as well. So we talked about how to make your brain work better. Well, you know, keeping your metabolism hydrated and your blood sugar level even is going to make that so much easier. So it's we just talk about hydration, and and a lot of people are good at drinking water, but when it goes out the window is when they're under pressure, right? When you're working on a deadline, when you have to give a speech, that's when you forget. So paying attention to not just are you getting water on average, but are you getting it when you need it? There's a study that says kids do better on tests when they drink water right before a yeah, test, yeah. things like that. So, so we're looking at, at your blood sugar level and your hydration and just it's really simple ideas about paying attention to keeping that even makes everything about resilience easier. And that'll have resounding effects on your health. That'll have resounding effects on on everything else. So not just about how you're performing at work, and and uh, that's just taking good care of yourself. So we have just time for a couple more more questions. Uh, and and the last piece of this uh, is so profound because it really is. If you don't have, and you you talk you call it renewing your spirit, tap into the power of purpose. If you don't have a purpose, it's really hard. I think to show up every day and, and actually want to do something. You've got to live for something, don't you? Yes, but the funny part is we've done this work with with thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We, we did a, a whole group of nurse leaders across the country too. And you go, nurses, of course they have purpose. They care about the patients, you know, but they're some of the people who get the most burnt out. So the, the hacks that we give you for purpose in the Micro Resilience book help even people who, who you know, seem obviously to have purpose how do they tap into the energy from that? So you 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 can have a sense of purpose, but when you've had a tough day at three in the afternoon, can you actually use your purpose to get energy? So so that's the micro part. That's the micro part that we're doing. And so when you think about where you are, if you're listening to this and and you feel like you've got an idea of what your your purpose is. Um, do you feel like that everybody should take some time and, and do a little bit harder, you know, a little, little bit more clear work on, on defining what that purpose is to give them some of that renewed focus and energy? That's so true. And what it's interesting because that framework, the last framework is different from the others in that what we found working with people was that we could help people use quick hacks in all the other areas and just build those into your day and, and have more focus, energy and drive. But when it comes to purpose, we almost always had to help people clarify their purpose, then we could sew it into their day. So so that that one kind of has a two-part process. When you go in the book, there are exercises, macro exercises to help you clarify your purpose, and then micro exercises to help you sew it into your day. And the macro ones are really fun team building events. There's one called um, Values Detective that you could do in pairs. And uh, there's another one on Touchstone and, and um, Tagline that are fun. So they actually make really good team building exercises because it's great for people to kind of get more conscious of other people's values and purpose too. I love this book. I appreciate this book. I love each chapter. Um, you tell some great stories. You share some great stories. There's there's personal and you know there's personal pieces, but it's it's a lot of stories about what other people have gone through and, and how they've overcome those. And and you just said that this this chapter in particular, there are very specific exercises from a macro from a micro level, and then it's followed up by different tips. So this is this is an actionable book. Um, this isn't a I don't I, I didn't 
pick up this book and feel like I was overwhelmed by theoreticals. You know, I, I felt like this was all things that I could actually take with me and instantly begin to use. And There's I love a lot that. of footnotes. If you want to look into the research, if you're a research geek like me, you can definitely go there. But we, we you're right. We give it to you in a very actionable way. I'm so happy to be sharing this with the Ken Blanchard community because Ken, as I said, I grew up in San Diego. He was a role model and a mentor for me and, and definitely made a difference for me. And, you know, purpose, positivity, all of these things are so aligned with uh, his philosophy and the way he the way he does leadership. So I'm so excited to be sharing this with the community. I love that. I love that. Well, so if there's one last thing, if I can just kind of make you kind of think about where you are right now, where your brain, where your heart is, if there's one last thing you want to share with our listeners today about all of your thoughts on this, what would it be? Gosh, is somebody who who went through this training and and did it one of my favorite comments is she said you know imagine a dog that's all full of mud and sticks and uh you you clean it off and and it can just be more of itself and she said that's what i feel about this work is we're not trying to change you or turn your life upside down but it just allows you to be the self you are the best self you know if you're not being hijacked emotionally you're not on a roller coaster with your metabolism, and you can put more positivity into your team. And it's great when you do this with your team because it helps it to be stickier. Um, I've seen this happen so often when people are, are firing on all five cylinders. You can just be the person you want to be, and, and people make real breakthroughs. I love it. I love it. Bonnie St. John, thank you so much uh, for, for being on the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. If people want to dig a little bit deeper into you and, and your research and your writings and, 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 and your speaking, where would you send them? Well, for this book, the, the work in this book, microresilience.com, and there's actually some videos on there if you want to share some of this with your team and, and uh, help everybody be moving towards a different definition of high performance. Um, you can share some of the videos that are on there. Uh, so microresilience.com is the best place to start. Wonderful. And we'll make sure we'll have that webpage on the, uh, on the, within the show notes, uh, Bonnie St. John, thank you so much for being with us today. All right. Thank you. Take care. It's so good to talk with Bonnie St. John today, and you can hear her speak at the Blanchard Summit, an exclusive conference for senior leaders, talent learning, and development professionals. If you're interested in learning more about Blanchard Summit, where Bonnie will be speaking, go to kenblanchard.com forward slash summit info. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening, and please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Chad, I just love your interview with Bonnie St. John. You know, I'm a big Bonnie fan. I mean, she's an incredible human being. When you realize what she's overcome in her life and, and end up being an Olympic champion and all kinds of things, she's... She's just amazing. And what she's trying to do here is to say, you know, I think we overwork ourselves and we get ourselves all uh, tied up in a knot 
and all. And there's some, she calls them tiny hacks that you can do to help you kind of, you know, refocus your brain and, and uh, reframe your attitude and, and uh, you know, refresh your body and do all these kind of good things. And uh, it's the little things that make a difference. For example, an uh, important thing for me is how I enter my day. You know, uh, when I worked with Norman Vincent Peale, we said we have two, uh, you know, kind of mindsets, you know. One is task-oriented, and the other is a thoughtful, reflective mindset. And which one wakes up quicker in the morning? The task-oriented. You leap out of bed, you know, and you're trying to eat while you're washing, and you're racing around and all those kind of things, you know. And you come home, and you're absolutely exhausted at night because you've been going full, full tilt. And, uh, and so you never really awaken uh, your thoughtful, reflective self. So I like to enter my, my, my day slowly. Uh, you know, like an alarm, my friend John Ortberg says, what a terrible term, alarm, you know, because that kicks in your task or itself. It ought to be called the opportunity clock or it's going to be a great day clock. And so I enter my day slowly by, you know, some of my spiritual reading I do and then I have my own purpose statement to be a loving teacher and example of simple truths that helps myself and others to awaken to the presence of God in our lives so we know we're here to serve, not to be served. When I say God, I'm not talking religiously. It's just getting out of your own way. And then I've written my own obituary, you know, which is an interesting thing. I mean, how would you like to be remembered? And then my values are spiritual peace, integrity, uh, love, and joy. And I read by definitions of those. And if I do that, it kind of sets the stage of who I want to be uh, today. And if I am, feel like I'm getting carried away, I stop and say, you know, is this really where I want to go? And I think we ought to all learn our own individual hacks to get us out of this focus, 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 focus. And then you get home and you have no energy left you know, you don't even have energy to say goodnight to somebody who might be lying next to you or talk to your kids and all those kind of things. And so I think we need to move more, too. You shouldn't be sitting in meetings every 45 minutes. At the at the least, you ought to get up and walk around uh, the room or walk around the office or dif- do different kinds of things. I, I periodically, people kid me, all of a sudden, I've taken a little nap, you know, <laughs> like at meetings, you know. If the meeting's about finance, which I could care less, then I can take a nap, and they let me nap during those kind of things. But, but uh, life is really fun. But you got to really learn uh, about what are the ways that you can. And I think this book about micro resilience. We're not talking about macro big stuff. We're talking about little stuff that can make a difference in your life. And thanks so much, Bonnie. You're so special, and Chad. And I think you ought to read this book and think of this book and what are the strategies that you can use so you don't overwhelm yourself and get carried away and I think in the long run you're going to get more done than you think. So have a wonderful day but make sure you know what are good tiny hacks (laughs) that you can use to make a difference in your day. God bless. 